everybody. Welcome to Riverside. A couple of quick announcements to hit while the kids are on their way out to class. Obviously, baptism uh, weekend this weekend. We just had one. If you're thinking, oh, I was going to do that, um, there is still another service to go. Um, and I mean, really, we do these things so that people that are like, you know, yeah, I want to do that, I want to do that, then all of a sudden they see the, the, the opportunity and they're like, okay, I'll do it. Anytime you think, hey, man, I want to get baptized, you just let me know and we will make it happen, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, lately we haven't had to be planning any of these special weekends uh, because people have been coming and saying, hey, I want to do that. So we just, the next weekend becomes a baptism weekend. So just let me know. Um, potluck today at 1230, right after the 1130 service. Jam camps today. Uh, they're going to leave here, I think he said at 230. Is that what he said? Is that, is my, yeah, okay. Uh, so um, the bus, uh, they're going to take the bus out. If you want, you can drop your kids off yourself. And then uh, for parents that are interested on Thursday night when they're going out to pick up the kids, uh, I'm going to go out for family night to see what all the kids have done and stuff. If you want to just ride out on the bus and then back with your kids, uh, you'll have an experience, I guarantee you. So anyway, um, that's, uh, that's today. And then service project this month is uh, new mom bags. And uh, so it's about 15 or 20 of these are going to go down to uh, Nicaragua. But the rest of them will stay here in Eagle River and bless um, brand new mothers that, uh, that don't have a lot of the essentials that, that sometimes we take for granted. So if you are interested in helping out with that, we're going to be collecting those through the end of July. And then we'll have a brand new one that we'll start up with in July. But for today... Um, we're continuing in this lesson series looking at the book of James. And today we are in part 20 of this series, and we are talking about, um, about an area that if we're not careful will bring our development as followers of Jesus to a screeching halt. Uh, the entire book of James so far, if you really just took, stood back and took a look at it, it James is describing the character of Jesus. Now, he's sort of couching it in the terms of, if you want to be the kind of person whose life is opened up to the power of God, to flow into your life, to flow out of your life, to impact, not just, not just give you the ability to do things you never dreamed you could do before, not just give you the ability to leave behind things that you never thought you could leave behind and to move into things that you never thought that you could move into, not just that kind of life, but the kind of life where that happens, and then that sort of splashes over on the people around you that, that God has entrusted into your life. And James is saying, if you want that, this is what it looks like. And then he basically is describing character exercise, right? Character workouts. And today he comes to a place where he tells us, this is what will stop your progress. And this is what he says in James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Paul says almost exactly the same thing in Romans chapter 14. We don't have time to go over there and look at what he, does, that he was talking about in Romans 14. Like Paul, though, he spends an entire chapter what uh, James spends two verses saying. But uh, in the devotionals this week, um, we spend quite a bit of time, I think on Tuesday, 
on that one question of, of Romans chapter 14 and what does that mean about judging and, and slandering people in the church. But I tried to think of what's a good way to, to sort of picture this concept of slandering and judging. And so I came up with this, uh, this word uh, that I'm like, I should trademark that word because it just rolls off the tongue. It's smugarigensiori, okay? It's a combination of smugness, arrogance, and superiority all wrapped up in sort of a, a climate of judgmentalism and condemnation. And if you want to know what it sort of looks like when a person is treating somebody else with smugarigensiori, this is it. Mr. Gordon, choose the topic. English literature, U.S. president, burning dog poo and the human response, reflections of society and literature, reflections of society and literature. Good luck, Schmuck. Mr. Madison, the Industrial Revolution changed the face of the modern novel forever. Discuss citing specific examples. to me is just like a story I know called the puppy who lost his way. The world was changing and the puppy was getting bigger. So you see, the puppy was like industry in that they were both lost in the woods and nobody, especially the little boy, society, no way to find them. Except that the puppy was a dog. But the industry, my friends, that was a revolution. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then... Unfortunately, that's the way sometimes Christians treat other people, and I just think, I mean, James says don't do it, Jesus says don't do it, Paul says don't do it, they all agree. But what exactly is it? And this is one of the more difficult concepts when it comes to following Jesus that you'll ever have to struggle with. Because, I mean, I imagine that in at least some of your minds, you're thinking, but wait a minute, aren't I supposed to speak up for the truth? Aren't I supposed to stand up for the truth? Aren't I supposed to uh, confront error when I see it? And the answer is yes to all of those things. But we're to do it without, well, what James would call slandering or judging. 
And so what exactly does that mean? What does that look like? And to me, I mean, we'll spend today looking at what is slander, what is judgment, what are those things not, and then how do we live our lives in a way that, that has an impact and an influence on the people around us and the world around us without judging and slandering. But it all sort of comes down to this, to this verse that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where he said, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. And so this, I mean, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is your goal, to become more and more like him. And Paul says the way that you do that is by learning to speak the truth, but to speak it in love. And so in the time that we've got left, a few observations kind of about this concept and what it is and what it isn't and how to then uh, sort of live our lives moving forward. So the first observation is this. Slander is, uh, it's basically a, like retreating, okay? Uh, and it's hard. I wasn't sure exactly what word to use. Retreating, withdrawing. Um, it, basically, the idea of slander is that we are trying to erase a relationship and a reputation. See, now, this is different than in our society, right? Because in our society, slander is all sort of wrapped up in the idea of lying. As a matter of fact, the legal definition of slander is if, if somebody says something about somebody else that is false and has damaged their reputation. And so you see this all the time in the news. Some celebrity is suing a tabloid magazine because they said something that was slanderous. Right? And if they can prove that the magazine, what the magazine wrote was false and that it impacted their reputation, then the magazine and the reporter are guilty of slander. It's all wrapped up with dishonesty and lying. But that's not the way that it was in the first century. In the first century, slander was not about lying. It was about telling the truth. But instead of speaking the truth in love, you were using the truth like a club. And even worse than that, you were using it well, the word literally means to make someone small. Uh, really, a lot of comedy. You know, I was sitting there watching Seinfeld this weekend, and, or this last week as I'm getting ready for this lesson, Seinfeld, Friends, New Girl, all these, all these comedies that I enjoy watching. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, wow, so much of this is about slandering somebody. Now, they're doing it all in good fun, theoretically, but... When we do this, what's happening is we're trying to crush someone else. We're trying to, to say, you're dead to me. There's, and, and we're looking down upon them. And not only that, we're trying to get everybody else to look down upon that person too. There was a group of people in the first century that, were, that had made this an art form. And they were called the Pharisees. And Jesus spends an awful lot of his ministry trying to wake these guys up by telling them these shocking stories that show this is how God sees you and this is how God sees these people that you are, that you're slandering. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, he tells one story, and this is the way Luke sets it up. He says, Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone else. And that is about the best description you're going to get of a Pharisee that you are ever going to find. And what Jesus says over and over and over again is, don't be like them. And he says some shocking things to sort of get us to see how big of a deal this is to God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is gathered. It's sort of the, the, the speech that launched, launched his movement. 
And he gathers this ragtag group of mystics, right? These are not the, the upper crust of first century society. These are the people that the Pharisees look down upon. And so he's talking to them. And he's saying to them, don't do that. Don't, don't treat other people the way that you've been treated. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says to this group of people, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Now, that sounds pretty terrifying because every single one of us, at one point or another, loses our temper, right? We, we struggle with anger, some of us to a greater extent than others. Um, but still, all of us deal with this. But that word that Jesus uses for anger is not just like you get mad at someone and, and blow up, right? Or fly off the handle. This is the word that is, that, that is talking about this smoldering, burning hatred that, we, that, that, that sometimes, if we're not careful, we will, we will hold deep within us. And not only that, we will stoke the fires. We will tend it carefully. We will, with our thoughts, with our words, with our actions, everything, we will do our best to keep that hatred burning. And Jesus says, you may think that if you've just never physically killed someone, that that's all you need to worry about. But Jesus says, believe me, this, this thing that's going on inside of you is, is bad. Don't, don't do that. And he goes on then, and he talks about this concept of slander. He says in Matthew 5, 22, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. Now, that word idiot is tough to translate. Um, it is literally the Aramaic word raka, R-A-C-A. And raka, like I said, it's hard to translate. If you go back and you look at several different translations of this verse in the Bible, you will see several different renditions of that word. Translators going, I don't really know what to do with this. So sometimes they just put the word raka in there. And we're reading along in English, we're like, raka, what's raka? And the translator's like, exactly. Now you know, how to, now you feel my pain, right? But the word raka, what it means literally is empty-headed. But it's not, it, when you said raka to somebody in the first century, it wasn't like you were saying they were dumb. You were saying that they were nothing that they were nobody. And the Jews said this to people a lot. If you remember a couple of months ago, we talked about the prodigal son, and the, the prodigal son goes to his father and he says, I can't wait for you to die to get my money, so give me my part of the estate right now so I can go off and live like you're already dead. And everybody that was there that day listening to Jesus tell that story would have assumed that the father would say, Raka. Right? Not only do you not get any of my money, but you are dead to me. I am erasing my relationship with you. It is extinguished. It is disintegrated. You are dead to me. Now, it's interesting that the father who represents God in that story does not say that to his son. He even gives him what he's asking for and lets him go off and make his own mistakes. But that's the idea behind this concept of slander. It is... Well, think about it this way. In America, slander falls under the subheading of lying. In first century Israel, slander fell under the subheading, at least as Jesus was concerned, of murder. Because you were killing a relationship. Jesus hated that idea. So he says, don't do it. He says, don't do it. Paul says, don't do it. James says, don't do it. 
So that's slander. Now, slander is withdrawing, retreating, um, erasing. Judgment, this leads us to our second point, is, a, is attacking. It is going on the offensive. And it's a subtle difference, but every time you, you see this concept brought up in the New Testament, the writers talk about both because they both lead to the same thing, right? As a matter of fact, Jesus, after he talks about this concept of raka, he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 22. He says, and if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, that word curse is another one of those words that's tough to translate, at least in a way that makes sense to us. It's literally the word fool. Um, and we look at that and we're like, so what's the big deal with calling somebody a fool? Why is that such a big deal? I mean, I don't know about you. I heard it just about every day of my life growing up. The kids in my neighborhood used it a lot. And other ones that were not even quite so flattering. So what is it that Jesus is so upset with when it comes to this word fool? Well, in the first century, it had become like the worst thing you could call another person. It was like literally the F word of the first century. Um, if you said it out loud, people would gasp. As a matter of fact, I imagine when Jesus says this out loud in the Sermon on the Mount, people are like, oh, did he just say what I think? You know, it's like, now he didn't call anybody that, but he said it out loud. And everybody would have been shocked. And Jesus does this a lot. He shocks people to show them. You see how bad this is? This, this is, don't ever do this. Because it is taking, it's, it's like not only are you trying to erase somebody, the judgment is about now I'm going to go on the offensive and I'm going to attack that person. Which when it leads to its logical end, if you are stoking that fire of hatred and resentment and bitterness, it can end up in the same place as murder, right? Jesus says judgment and slander fall under the subheading, at least as far as God is concerned, of murder. This is a huge deal for Jesus. He says over and over and over, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, especially in Romans chapter 14, he says over and over and over, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. And then James says it. Of course, James says it <laughs> very, very succinctly, right? Everybody else sort of goes on and on. But look at what Jesus says in uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Now, the word forgive doesn't mean everything goes back to the way that it was, right? Forgiveness doesn't mean that you are, that, that, that you are admitting you were wrong, or that, that the other person gets away with whatever it was that they were trying to do. But forgiveness is basically, the word literally means to let go. And that's what will get rid of this burning resentment deep in your heart, is learning more about that. And as you learn to forgive, then it will become easier not to judge and not to slander. But it always comes back to this. This concept of judgment being sort of the opposite of forgiveness. And Jesus is saying over and over and over again, be really careful. Because this thing will get out of control and you won't be able to, you won't be able to, to control it yourself. And that's what sin does, okay? When I was 17, I guess, I, there were some things that represented freedom to me, right? Uh, and 
addicts will understand what I'm talking about. When addicts, when we start using or abusing substances, we think, I'm going to use this and it's going to serve me. And at first, we are sort of in control, right? But the day comes, and it's a subtle shift, but it's a really important one, where we are no longer in control, right? Suddenly, the substance has taken control. Resentment will do the same thing. We think, I'm going to use this to punish that person. I'm going to use this because it feels good to imagine all the bad things that, that could happen to that person. And we think, I'm going to use this to feel better. But pretty soon, it ends up doing this to us. Get up! You all of you beneath me. I am a god, you dumb creature. And I will not be bullied by that. experienced that firsthand, where you're like, all right, I got control of the situation, everything's okay, all of a sudden, boom, 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 and you're just like laying on the ground looking around thinking, what just happened? And I've got to tell you, I spend a lot of time talking to people who thought they had control of something, and then it left them like that, and they were left looking around at the wreckage that that not only had it impacted their own lives, but the lives of the people that God had entrusted into their lives. And resentment will do that to you. Jesus is constantly saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. James says this in James chapter 2, verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we need to, we need to realize, it's like, you know, we, we're wondering... How do I do battle with that hulk of resentment that is just going to throw me around? Mercy is the antidote, okay? And I know that it's hard because we, 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 we think, well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I live my life the way that God wants me to live it and stand up for the truth and confront error with my life but not judge or slander? A lot of times people will get to this point and they'll say, well, I guess that means that there is no, there is no external basis of right and wrong. There is no, no, this, this is always right and that's always wrong. And so, you know, it's basically just whatever feels good to people, whatever makes sense to one person. That's, that's, it's like sometimes people will think that. Does that mean that I should never make any moral evaluations? Does that mean I should never make any ethical judgments? And the answer is, no, but it, it's a really tricky thing to figure out in the life of a follower of Jesus how to, how to do the best at living the way that Jesus says, tells us to live without becoming like the Pharisees, because that's, that's the human tendency, to go into this place where you're like, okay, I'm, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to start trying to do what Jesus says, and then you get to where you're doing pretty well, and you're looking around at other people that aren't doing quite so well, and you start judging that, those people. You start condemning those people because they're not where you are now, you know, the place that you were a little while ago. And I guess I'd say the only way to be able to figure out how to navigate that, that path is 
to look to Jesus. And that leads us to our third and final point. Jesus is the only answer. He's the only answer. As a matter of fact, he is the answer that James gives for every question that we ask when it comes to living the Christian life. If you've been with us throughout this series, we started back in January. The first chapter of James is almost entirely about handling suffering and tragedy and trouble and trials. And James says, don't pretend that they're not real. Don't pretend that they're not painful. They are. But James says, to the extent that you can take your eyes off of the things that are causing you misery and suffering and sorrow and heartache, to the extent that you can take your eyes off of those things and turn your eyes and put them on Jesus, to that extent, the suffering, the heartache, the pain, it will lose its ability to define you. When he talks about temptation at the end of James chapter 1, he says, when you face something that you think, this is so compelling, this is so alluring, I don't know how I'm going to resist this. He says, to the extent that you can take your eyes off of that temptation and turn them upon Jesus, to that extent, the temptation will melt away like water and, or ice in the hot sun. I mean, throughout the entire book, this is what James says. James chapter 3 talks about using our words to change the very direction of our lives and says, when you find yourself going the wrong direction, you start, you take the words of heaven, you put them in your mind, in your heart, and on your lips, and you speak, the, you unleash heaven on this earth, and it will transform your life and take you in a completely different direction. And two weeks ago, we looked at when he's, the attacks of the devil, right? We talked about putting on the full armor of God. And James, you know, like I said, he, he says in one verse, what Paul takes almost an entire chapter to say. And James just says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do I do that? By drawing near to God. That's always his answer. And here, when he says, don't judge other people, we say, well, how do I do that? How do I not judge people? And this is what James says, James 4, verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? See what he's saying? He's saying there is a lawgiver, there is a judge, it's just not you. So take your eyes off of the person that is making you so mad and put them on that one lawgiver and judge and keep your eyes on him and it will, it will melt the power of that, other, that that other person has over you to create such a storm of emotions within you. And that's James's answer for this whole thing. When I first started, trying to recover my life, I focused on James and the Sermon on the Mount. And like I said, I started to make progress. It was miraculous how much of God's power started being poured into my life immediately. I had no idea what I was doing. And it's like God's going, go, 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 go. You know, it's like, and, and all along the way, I kept making all of these mistakes. And I had that, I had that I had that season in my life as a follower of Jesus where I, start, I, I left behind things I never dreamed I could have left behind. I moved into a life I never would have dreamed I could have moved into. And I started to look around at other people that hadn't figured it out yet or just weren't at that point yet. I started to judge those people. It came to a point where, I, where, where God very clearly showed me, Ed, you're becoming a Pharisee. And so I was like, okay, all right, I, I was slandering, I was judging, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll head this other direction. Though I still struggle 
with how do I live my life in such a way that I have influence on other people's lives and impact on the world, and I continue to, to live the way that I'm supposed to live, how, how do I do that? And all I, can, all I can say is, I just have to keep looking at how Jesus treated the people that were in his life. People who were as far away from God's plan for their, for their, for their lives as you could possibly get. How did Jesus treat those people? And the answer is with respect and honor and love and acceptance and forgiveness. We talk about this all the time here at Riverside. It's like he had these three signs hanging around his neck. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible. And when we treat people the way Jesus did, we wonder, well, will I have any influence if I do that? Who in this world has ever had more influence on the lives of the people that were around him and more of an impact on the world than Jesus did. Nobody. And yet, people would look at him and say, wow, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And when they said it, it wasn't a compliment, but Jesus wore it like a badge of honor. Did it mean that he was compromising the truth? Pharisees thought so, but he didn't. And so I don't know how to tell you how to live your life in this way. All I know is that if I can get you to ask that question, what would that look like for me? What, what would it look like for me to get to a point where people said, hey, there goes Joe, the friend of sinners. What would that, I'm still trying to figure it out in my own life and make it happen because it's, we get to a certain point where we're like, okay, so if I'm not supposed to judge and I'm not supposed to slander, does that mean I'm not supposed to make any moral evaluations or ethical judgments? Well, no. The entire book of James is about making moral evaluations and ethical judgments about how you live your life. All of Jesus' teachings, he's saying, there is a right way, this is the right way. Don't go this wrong way, go the right way, or you are gonna get yourself into all kinds of trouble, all kinds of pain. You're gonna find yourself thrown around by the things that you, that, that, that you do that you shouldn't have done. There's consequences there. Yes, you can be forgiven. Yes, I still love you. But, but this, Jesus' teachings are all about making moral evaluations and ethical judgments. And so how do I do this? And I think James, I don't know if you remember, but back in chapter 1, James talked about using the Bible as a mirror. Right? A mirror is for us to look at and see, is there something wrong? Right? Do I have anything that I need to take care of? And if there's something wrong, out of place, messed up, we try as best we can to take care of it before we go out and sort of, you know, you know, make the world look at, at what they see when we go outside, right? The same thing is supposed to be true with the Bible. James says we're supposed to look at it like a mirror. Not like a telescope, looking for what's wrong in everybody else's lives, but like a mirror so that we can see what is, how am I doing? How am I doing at following Jesus? How, how, how am I doing? And you look in that mirror, and if you see something wrong, you do yourself your, your, your best to fix it. I guess it all comes down to this. Your, my and your, ability to create the kind of life where God's power is flowing into our lives and out of our lives and giving us the ability to be to go places we never dreamed we could go, to move into things we never thought we could move into, to leave things behind that we never thought we could leave behind. Our ability to do that is directly related, I think, to our 
capacity to successfully preach the gospel to ourselves. Right? It's using the Bible as a mirror and saying, how am I doing? And if you do that and you follow Jesus, your life will have more influence and impact than you could possibly imagine. Jesus is the judge, all right? But he is the judge who refused to judge. He comes into this world. He lives his life perfectly. He preaches the gospel to himself first, right? He lives a perfect life as far as morality and ethics and the way that he treats other people. And then at the end of his life, he is judged. He's the judge who was judged so that we wouldn't have to be. He came to this earth and he lived his life and he died and he was resurrected so that he could get us out of the courtroom. And when we go back into judging and slandering, we are putting ourselves right back there in the courtroom. And Jesus says it and Paul says it and James says it. Do not do that. You do not want to be in the courtroom. I think we're going to stop right there um, because that's really what this whole thing is all about. It is about learning to become like the one that we claim to follow, the one that didn't judge, the one that didn't slander anyone, not a judgmental bone in his body. You want to have influence you want to have impact? You want to have God's power flowing into your life? That's what it looks like. Preach the gospel to yourself and then learn how to be a friend to the people that are maybe as far away from God's plan for their lives as you can possibly get. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you do not judge us, that you do not condemn us, you don't look down upon us, but that you love us with everything that you have. Lord, teach us, teach us to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. <laughs> Give <my> stuff. <laughs> I'm like struggling up here. <laughs> uh, well, uh, if you want to be baptized next service, talk to Ed. Well, we'll, we'll get you in, and uh, if you can come back for a potluck at 12.30, come join us. Let's go ahead and stand and close with the final chorus. Because of your love, we're forgiven.